Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. We're here to review V5 Love Bites. Now, DJ for everybody, what's Love Bites? So Love Bites is a free scenario that was uh, dropped during uh, October when they had the Month of Fright of sorts. Um, and it was uh, one of the scenarios that came up on our view. And it was interesting because of how it was presented. And what makes it even better is after having tasted a couple scenarios most recently, especially the werewolf one, we're going to see what this one stacks up to. We're going to check that out. But uh, there's another thing that, that dropped as well that is uh, PDF only that they have out, which is, uh, do you remember the name of it? It's about love as well. Uh, the the Bloodstained one. Right. Bloodstained love. Um, we're going to get into that, obviously, when uh, we, we get around to just kind of seeing it. But folks, fans, fans, because I'm like, what, super? Anyway, um, for those that listen, our fans, it's the only thing we can call it. Um, we do plan to get into to that book as well. This just happens to not be that book yet. Um, we're reviewing this scenario to kind of enlighten some things about V5, because we never truly hate V5 here. Um, I don't know, that was sort of a weird turn. Just as we happen to like V5, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not terrible to us, but... Uh, uh, we want to see where the story went, what they included in it. We checked that out for you. But but the other one, um, Bloodstained Love, that deals with vampires, love, and new rules and ways to look at it and backgrounds. I've seen a little review for it. Um, we're not going to do a pod in a review, but we saw it. looks interesting. Interesting enough to do a pod later. We just haven't uh, gone through it in the docket. Um, that said, let's get to this story about Love Bites. And DJ, um, what do we got here? Like Love Bites is a, uh, what I understand, it, it's 44 pages of delicious, Here's how we're going to do a hierarchy game with the prince. It seems to be a traditional, uh, the prince has a job for you, you're going to do it, and then semantics ensue. But what does that entail? So what it entails is it is um, a prince who's kind of losing control of the city because the Anarchs are starting to encroach their way in. Um, and what is currently happening is that she is trying to figure out how to go ahead and hold on to the city itself. But unfortunately, the Anarchs in attempting to make peace are like, suck it, we're Anarchs, and uh, either you see that territory or we're going to give it to you. Um, lo and behold, during this pre prosperous time, the Nosferatu, who they have painted as being uncanny in this case, have decided the prince owes us a great boon. And so we're going to catch on that boon itself. And they're asking for a specific amount of territory to give to the Anarchs. The prince, having to figure out whether or not this is a great idea, concedes and gives up that territory to these Anarchs that will be cemented on New Year's. At the stroke of midnight, that is when the Anarchs will have new territory and that will cement a peace between the Camarilla and the existing Anarchs. However, what makes it interesting is the prince knows that she's being slighted and rather than show up herself because she should make a toast during this instead sent her grandchild. Um, but of course, it's never going to be him alone. And I guess it's us to go along with the grandchild. Make sure he makes it to this uh, party, delivers a speech and makes it back home safely. Okay. So what we have here is a messy entanglement, right? As they put it in the book, kind of like that wording. Um, because if they leave it open because a lot more can happen in this scenario. It's my opinion. As a, as, a, as a veteran storyteller, if players can look more deeply into something or makes, make a mountain out of a molehill, they're going to. And that's why this scenario, and any scenario like this, when, when you go to run this game or run this Love Bites, you're going to get way into it more than as presented. We'll start with the fact that they give you a little background. These aren't just some Nosferatu. Not at all, right? So... They reference Cult of the Blood Gods. They tell you to need that book so you can look into it. Maybe not need, but it's good to reference and deep dive when you can. And in here, um, they, they cite the page, did it. I, I treated this book like I was brand new 
and to, to the world. And I don't know what they're talking about. Happened to have a library. And it was easy, easy to do. Took me inside of an hour and a half to go through this entire book with their instruction, understanding everything, digesting it proper. Thumbs up. Um, so I'm going to say it's a great storybook guide for that, technically speaking. However, running through it, what are you going to run into? Well, back to the Cleopatras. Nosferatu and V5 have taken a turn to be rather diverse, which is a, which is a, a feather in the cap. And why I say that, we know what a Cleopatra was back in the day. We need to open that door, save to say that this is not the Cleopatra from back in the day. The one who would like, I used to be beautiful and now I'm vindictive because I'm not beautiful anymore. I'm a Nosferatu. So what I do is go around and terrorize beautiful people. And I like to, uh, you know, embrace them because I think it's funny to see what happened to them. And to me, they matured the clan a bit because that never made sense to me either. So you're a Nosferatu who's a bully about beautiful people. Okay, we can do better. That's what I think V5 did. We're going to go better here. It's not to mm-hmm. say that anybody's ever played a Cleopatra old school sucks. It's to say that even you could say, if somebody asked you, why do you still do that? You're immortal and you're, you're really a monster. You're a monster. It's not that you're not beautiful. It's that you are something else entirely like you evolved. What does that become now? And a lot of people just ignore it. And they say, it doesn't matter, I'm a Cleopatra. I'm going to stick to maiming beautiful people, which is fine for the game you're playing. But when you get to V5, the Cleopatras are actually a cult that's dedicated to a whole other ideal. It started in uh, Augustus Caesar's Rome at its height, and it's about the decadence that Romans had. And we all know about that in history. You know, the, we're talking about the senators, right? That's, that's what it seemed to target, the rich mm-hmm. and senators class, and, uh, or the patrician class, I believe it's what that was. And what about them is that all the gold they could attribute and slaves and whatnot, the Nosferatu grooved to it. They got into it deep back then, but not because it was just Romans. It just happens to be during that era, Cleopatra was around. And because of Cleopatra, the clan began to believe an old ancient tale about Abyssimilard having a child before he got cursed. Now, for those who don't remember, remember Abyssimilard was a, the very best hunter that ever existed, that walked the land, prideful, egotistical. Super awesome, badass guy, hunter, ancient world hunter. Couldn't beat him. Also, happened to be good looking. That's where his pride is. I'm not saying he was the best looking, because who knew, right? They don't really get into that, just that he was the best hunter. But we know this much Yima was beautiful. That was her name, by the way, the chill. And that's what they pointed out in the book. And so this chill is uh, made long before Cain curses everybody. But when Cain turns around and curses everybody, it's apparent that uh, Abyssimilard gets the horrible imagery and his curse and the Nictiku rumors and everything else that could have happened or completely opposite could have happened. Who knows really how this went? And maybe he wasn't a hunter at all. But for the purposes of this cult, they believe in the story of Abyssimilard. They believe in Yima and they believe the curse affected Yima as well. However, maybe not. So what does that mean? It means they believe that Yima could have been beautiful and still existed and is out there. And that Cleopatra might be one of hers or something of that nature. They let you play around with it. It's either you believe Cleopatra was embraced by Yima and she existed back then and that's where this cult came from. Or that they idolized Cleopatra because she was more powerful than any single man ever lived at that point as a pharaoh. And because of that, uh, a living god, it's easy to see that they could say, oh yeah, we'll be like her. And it's totally legit. Here's the thing to remember though. When you look at this scenario, what I really like that they add here is that the Cleopatras believe in an important thing. They're not just doing it to do it. 
there is a force that sends the Cleopatrans the imagery of a beautiful naked woman coddling in her hands, nurturing these horrible twisted monstrosities that are obviously Nosferatu. Like she's forgiving them or bringing them to her chest, like a almost like a martyr esque, I, I love you, do as I say sort of thing. And what this, through dreams, what, what it's telling these Nosferatu to do is to take over. Is to take over politically, take over territory wise, simply take over. Unite the clan and take what's yours. And that's what they're doing. That's at the heart of this book. And you have to understand that off the bat, because if you do, then you begin to realize the prince is secondary, the anarchs are secondary. In fact, that's old hat. To write a mm-hmm. book at this point, DJ, about a story of a prince versus anarchs in territory, when, when, you know, how, well, right. Who, who hasn't heard of it? But when you add in the mix, the Cleopatrans, that's when you're, or excuse me, they'd be super mad I included the end there, the Cleopatras. Uh, that's when you're like, oh, okay, okay. And and what I like about these uh, Cleopatras is the fact that uh, even the style of the book on the cover, all that gold, baby, they're wearing all the rings and bangles and jewelry, you know. I I don't know. To me, I don't know how you, what you think about that, but I never even thought about it the opposites of how that would look, how that would slap you in the face if you had to see it. A Nosferatu draped in finery. You always heard this adage, right? That's like, uh, what is it, put a gold gold on a turd? <laughs> right? That's no, what no, that's... Right. Uh, so what I think is cool about this is, you're right, um, especially, it, it's an Easter egg for those of us who at least have an idea of what the Cleopatrans are, but someone's just picking up the book. But when you take a look at the cover, it's beautiful art to begin with, and it's exactly what it should be. And it kind of, it plays to V5's expectations of there's a new world out there and you can't rely on stereotypes to kind of do it for you. Um, and Cleopatrans have that thing of like dress for the part that you want to be, not for the part that you are. Right. So like in business, they always tell you like, you want to be a manager, start acting like a manager. And these not brought to exactly espouse that, as you were mentioning before, but you physically see it. Like you, that's what the, the initial shock hits you because you're like, wait a second, aren't you supposed to be in drags? Aren't you supposed to be ugly? And they're like, no, no, no. I don't. I don't see what you see. I see beautiful stuff going on over here. This is all. This is all me. This see, is all I, t- I can test. That. I didn't take that on, on that because what I took from it was a hundred percent how Roman did it. Do mm-hmm. you think Roman centers were gorgeous, walking oh, around doing not. whatever? Like a lot <laughs> no. of them were old. A lot to, right. To those centers were oh. old guys. They were yep. old guys. They were grabbing old women, old or young women, young boys. Those are concubines. You know, you could read about a Roman emperor and what he did with kids back in the day. Right. More horrific. You get an idea. How are they able to do that, though? And for that, you got to know history just a tad. Mm-hmm. What was the culture back then? And you begin to grasp how they're able to play what they are. These are these are ancients. I'm not saying the Nosferatu in this book, but the idea of this cult from right. being back that far. But what is the magic? How do you land a Cleopatra? And, 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 and honestly, how I feel it's done, it's not act the role of what you want to be. It's that's who you are. And it's not that you think you're beautiful. It's that nobody would ever dare ever dare to look at you and try to judge you you are the one to do the judging you are the one that is the gold standard already if these plebes are lucky you'll notice them that's the aura you want to give off i dress in finery so that i could spot my own and those (laughs) who are a part my circle and my clique they dress in finery as well we know who we are it is you who dance to our tune and if you're lucky, we let you come to our soirees. If you're lucky, we'll include you in our plotting. But if you want something, or if you have something by chance that we want, know it's already gone. Your best hope is to negotiate with us so we leave you a pittance. 
And that's the impression they give you when they write meeting two of them in this book. And it's interesting because, like I said, you wouldn't expect Nosferatu to be this way. But the fact is, is that uh, they not and nowhere in this book does it tell you that the Nosferatu, the domain, challenged these Cleopatrids. Far from right. it. Because what are the Nosferatu up to this point? We're sewer rats. We hide in the sewer. We hide in pipes. Don't look at me. I'm hideous. Can I talk to rats? I play with dogs. Those are my <laughs> friends now. Right? I, I, I chew on used condoms because it's the closest thing a vampire can have to gum. And, you know, hey, it's everywhere, right? <laughs> you know, everybody loves being disgusting for some reason and being this thing. I've never seen Nosferatu like that. I've always, in my, whenever I envision them, they're, they're monstrous. They're human beings trying to deal with the fact that every time they look at a mirror, they terrify themselves. And once you're past that, what are you? That's, 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 the, that's the trick of a Nosferatu. What is that degeneration like and what is that struggle? And, you know, you can get some beautiful play from it. You can get some horrific one. But the simple fact is, this cult is just a different take of it. And how you land at peace is everything in this book. So, let's talk a bit, though. How vague is the prince? It's so... The prince is so vague, they don't even have a name. Not even a name. The grandchild has a name. She doesn't. There's not even a, a history about how she's even held on to the city for as long as they have. It's just... It's just it's a city. Here's a city. Mm-hmm. Here's the doesn't name the city, just so the scenario fits. I'm not knocking them for doing that. It's just so you can have your city of choice. Mm-hmm. A prince. Doesn't matter who. A prince. And they, and they double gender. What I mean is sometimes refer to it as a he, sometimes it's she. Just depends. You can kind of do with whatever you want with it. And it's uh, literal they didn't care enough to assign that. Or even a profile for the prince. What I could tell you is that they treat the prince like an institution. What that means is that the players will never oppose the prince in a social challenge. They'll never be able to defy them with that. Not that you can't roll dice, but the best you could hope for is to placate the prince with a clever lie or to negotiate a little bit or something like that. But you're never going to like defeat the prince or do something like that or oppose the sheriff and the deputies. So that's not that type of scenario. However, I sat there and said to myself, my, my, my players would do it. They would do it in a heartbeat. I, the first thing to do is sit down and make this prince to make it work. Because the prince is not strong enough to oppose the Anarchs on their own domain. Right. That, that's not shocking to me, but I said right there, well, we're not dealing with, like, New York. Right? We're not dealing with a, a... We're not dealing with a big city, a big territory that the Camarilla is notorious for having reins in and the holds on. But I'd be dealing somewhere smaller, but still cool to be. And that's, that's the idea behind it. Um, and I even thought, like, somewhere in California. Because, you know, Anarch Free States, but maybe not anymore. Prince got lucky, small town, whatever you do, all of that fits. But what I couldn't shake is the fact that if the prince is so, meh, what's the deal? Well, the deal is they focus on the chill, and that's Gatsby. And they joke about it. Yes, the one from the book, because the guy very much is, uh, you can tell it's inspired and pulled from as a torador. Uh, but what did you think about Gatsby, as I realize I'm just, just splurging oh, here? Oh, no. It's just, uh, he's gaudy. His introduction for the first, uh, for the most part, when he gets introduced um, at this soiree that the prince is holding, is he walks in with two blood dolls, each one in each arm, just breaking up decorum, just drawing all the attention in there, probably to either besmirch the prince or otherwise. But obviously, he's doing it to draw the, to to bring it to him. But he's literally a lightning rod in one way, shape, or form. Um, does he have depth to him? I can't really say. 
I mean, he loves his drugs, I can tell you that much. And he loves his thin blood. But uh, more on that to come. Yeah, off the bat, they hit Gatsby. They hit the prince with being rather pimp. And because the prince, <laughs> in the opening scenario, the players are part of a coterie. And in V5, we all know you do coterie constructions in the main book mm-hmm. if you haven't read it. Um, for those who are just listening, it's maybe the first time you heard about V5. Um, that's what they do. They make players sit in a coterie uh, that is together, and they build this to to effects that the players are working together. That way they can, uh, you may even not, you may even be nemesis to one another, but even that coterie group, even as being in opposition to assets and resources, competing by by uh, accomplishment, um, that's not, you're not at each other's throats, and that's the idea behind V5. So make it to where my friend playing the game with me is not my enemy. We're in the story together. That mm-hmm. said, you build the coterie accordingly, and you can go any flavor of the rainbow, even making your own. But this one is a particular type of coterie. I believe it's pronounced Marichal or Maricall uh, right. coterie. And what that is, is that this group is handpicked uh, by the prince to serve something that the prince wants them to do, at least in this scenario. And because of that, prestigious sires could have even been primogen. really doesn't matter as long as they're prestigious, well-known, like elder caliber people, push forward while they're children. And the players play those children that are placed in this coterie. And they have access to the prince. That's the important part. The prince is somebody that they can look to and see what they have. And a coterie kind of benefits that way. Now they got to go do a task that the prince sets them to. What this does is that if you're, if your players are V5, this scenario breaks up the fact that, well, if I don't want to run an entire chronicle where the players just have access to the prince. It's not what this is saying. It's saying a coterie, which can be temporarily formed for any reason. This time it starts where the prince says, I have a task. These elders said, here are our children. They'll do it. And then they know to talk to the prince. And you're like, oh, cool. Light bulb in the head, that works. And I like how they mapped that out for everybody. Because it used to be a point of contention. Well, how do I have such weak stats serving, serving the prince in such a long time? It's because you don't. It's you do something. And by the way, you could form a Marischal Coterie because you're going to pick up the prince's car. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. It doesn't have to be something epic. In this scenario... It's a coterie is formed to escort the grandchild, which is Gatsby, of the prince. Simply put, whatever he's going to do, bring him back. That's as it's done. Now, there are things here as the plot thickens. It's not just because Gatsby's the grandchild of the prince. Far from it. It is because, well, uh, the prince is not doing so well, as DJ said, against the Anarchs. Now, what is it about the Anarchs and the prince that's actually going on, DJ? Outside of the fact that William Cray, who happens to be their anarch leader, was a Warsec veteran as well, he's carrying his weight and starting to push for it. Um, on the prince's end of things, though, it's it's more the issue with the Nosferatu um, that she's feeling right now, which is like the the fact that she has to concede territory because it's due. And what kind of struck me as well was we had to, for those of you who have listened to our podcast for a long time, if you usually owe anything to the prince, you don't owe anything to the prince. Right, you never cash in on it because if you do, then you're bad news bears because it should just be good enough that you've done a service to the prince itself. But here we actually see Nosferatu having the gall to cash in on a boon, and the prince actually does it. But then we see the repercussions of when the prince has to actually do something about it. And in this case, it's the slight of having to cash in that boon. How dare you cash in such a boon? And therefore, I will show you such a slight back for not having to be present for this inauguration of sorts. So instead, I will send my grandchildren. It's it's very political caddy in that, but uh, draconian 
in the in the fact that uh, how many people are actually harmed in Camarilla politics, the potential landmines, and it paints it up. So look at the relationship here. The prince has a grandchild, big deal. Doesn't want to risk themselves, so they decide my grandchild will be the one to represent me <laughs> in this scenario that's going on. And that scenario is simple. It's not just they have a problem with anarchs. This prince, you you can't just sit and say the print on the camera alone, the prince of the city, and by my will alone, that'll maintain. Because the anarchs don't give a shit. The anarchs will take over territory, build numbers, and they're ready for a fight. And they're looking for a fight. And this particular anarch that's here, this uh, representative, not the leader, but the representative of them, is actually a former Bruja from the Camarilla side. Right? It was around 1999 or 2000 where they were just, they believed in the Camarilla, they were fighting for the Camarilla, they were killing the Sabbat left and right. And then, well, when the Bruja all left the Camarilla, it's because he realized the same thing. It's a, it's a gilded cage. It's a glass ceiling. You're, you want slaves. You're, you're using this wrong. So it became an anarch. And for now, it's serving the anarchs. And it's chosen to be more political. So this guy, working with the anarchs in the area, is the, is the one stepping forward for them that the players can encounter and kind of speak with. But you get the impression off the bat that Prince has no clout with the anarchs at all. There's not even any military might that the Prince even seems to have uh, mm. against anything the anarchs do. So what we have here, though, is it's called the Red Block. And you can't miss that because I had to go back and make sure I saw that correctly. It starts as a rumor that the prince has four to six blocks that's up, up near the hospital that has uh, been in the business of retaining blood. You know, blood drive donations. You know, the old bag adage with, with V5. You know, I'm not, if you're a bagger, you know, I'm feeding on blood bags. I got a system. My influence is three. It's in medical. Blah, 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 blah. I have a hospital. <laughs> like, we've heard it's so tropish that it's there easily. And I like how they keep that. If everybody's using it, great, we'll do it too. Here's a scenario where we're doing it. And this one says, though, that there are, there's a whole lot of drama in there uh, from this the, the, the red block, so to speak. And one of them is this rumored thing with the Anarchs, that the Anarchs have gotten large enough and more and combative enough to where they, they demand it. They're moving to the Prince to let them know, we need to negotiate because we're taking over this area. By the way, we don't have to talk. That's pretty much what the Anarchs were like. But you got to say nothing. We're taking it one way or the other. And before the prince can say anything, the important thing is that Cleopatra step in and say, let's have peace. It is okay you anarchs have these blocks. We think it's fine. Because remember, prince, you owe us. And the prince is like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I remember loud and clear. You're right. I owe you. Granted. Enjoy. Gratis. And thank you for, for saving me from embarrassment. That's where the prince is coming from. Now, from the Cleopatra point of view, why step in and do that, DJ? Um, to prove that they have power. I mean, obviously they they they're like Barzini. Oh man, this reminds me of like The Godfather, right? Where he just steps in. This is like the Barzini move, where they have the capability now of having those anarchs on their side. Because as you were mentioning, the prince has no clout with the anarchs. But guess who does? Cleopatra's. Now, as I saw it, the Cleopatras don't care. They ultimately don't care. The anarchs believe they have power. The prince believes they have power. We have more power than both of them combined. Our clan has the, is the one holding down the city. You, both factions are just benefiting from what we're doing. Now, that's very Roman of them. Think of how Rome conquests as well. And that's what this reminded me of. It wasn't all just war. If you can go in and convince a group before the war even started, look at all we have. We're Rome. Everywhere I go, I am Babacus Maximus Aurelius. Where I am is Rome. I may be in your village, but all I see is Rome. You can be a part of that, or you could stand against us. Fall now and be forgotten for all time. 
or have a chance to be a Roman citizen. What say you? By the way, that's not a negotiation, and Rome wrote the book on it. I'm not asking you. My hand is out <laughs> but one time. Take it. Napoleon, let's do it. Let's see what it's like to be a Roman. Don't? Well, my friend will see you tomorrow. I came prepped for war. Are you? And these Cleopatras carry that clot with them. And you know that because they move the prince like they own the prince. That's why the boon, DJ. That's why I took it. I agree with you. This is why you don't mess with the prince. You don't tell the prince you, you know, freaking, you don't owe the prince. The prince doesn't owe nobody. You're in my city, Jack. That's true if you're a prince of strength. A prince of strength, some, you, you know, someone does a favor for you as the prince. You got to figure out a way to work them. And that person's got to figure out how to get you to forget about them. <laughs> That's how it works. True. Because if the prince sees you at value, suddenly you're being used to do everything for free because you wouldn't dare tell the prince you owe them and the prince knows that and a powerful prince keeps letting you shine keeps letting you shine because at their court everyone will gift you as being the kindred to know it'll be so great until you're the one fighting lupines one night <laughs> that's usually how it goes like suddenly i'm somewhere i can and the prince goes and i don't have to pay you a damn thing now <laughs> right but what happens if you conquer all the challenges that the prince throws in front of you well you begin thinking don't you if I'm doing all this work and the prince says it, why am I not the prince? That's why. That's why you don't do that. In this case, the prince doesn't have the strength. Doesn't have the strength to do it. They have to cave the Nosferatu. The Nosferatu are letting the Anarchs know this is the power we have, and we are seeking peace. We're not looking to rule you, the rabble, but we understand you're going to have a place. We're still here. What you have doesn't affect us, because we can still use it the same. And the Anarchs are like, yeah, we're cool with that. Not this prince. <laughs> so um, what does the prince decide to do? Well, as you spoke, you set it up. The prince says, okay, we have to have a big party. It's New Year's. And we gotta, I got to sit down. The, the Anarchs want to have a negotiation where we make it official. No problem. And the prince says, I'll be there. What happens, DJ, at this party? At this party, um, you, you escort Gatsby over. And uh, Dido, who happens to be the important Cleopatra that you come across, is, I like the way that she, they wrote her up. She's all nice and happy and smiling. She's got her little stem of, water, of blood in the class. She comes by and she's like, oh, where's the prince? And it's not until she recognizes Gatsby that it also gives her the opportunity to see the controlled rage of the slight that she gets it, right? Kind of like when you know you've been stood up. I love the way they wrote that she recognizes she's been stood up. And Nosferatu do not forget. Nosferatu will hold on to that grudge, but more on that later. And they're like, okay, well... I guess if she's not here, I guess we'll have to make use of Gatsby. Uh, and that's the. It's it's fantastic to see that written well, and uh, more more so, I, I enjoy agreeing with it. I love it when it fits the way you hope that it does, and and you see that well. But even despite that point, some of the nuance of that scene is fantastic, right? Because when the Mar Marischal coterie gets together, the players do. The prince does two things: any type of suit or style. You know, art couture, as they put it in the book, that a player wants for their character is available to them in wardrobe by the prince's top retainer. Oh, yeah. It's already there. Piled up in all the luxury and finery possible. The state-of-the-art awesome SUV is waiting outside to take everybody out for the party on New Year's Eve. If nobody's ever seen New Year's Eve or invested in going to a group party, it's typically how it is, right? Everybody chips in for the limo. There's 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 champagne in the limo. No one's driving. There's DDs, you know, no one has to worry about, you know, getting home drunk or whatever. We all got that taken care of. We're going to party big in the city and do whatever. You got your locations planned out. Very mortal thing to do. And the prince is like, yeah, we'll start off that way. So there's Gatsby. It's great. 
print shows every form of blood doll walking around uh, this this first party, the pre-party area. And there's two things that shocked me. One was the blood dolls everywhere. And I was like, what, what is that about? The prince is like, basically, I got to like that splash the pot plan toward or peace. Any any type of bite you want there with the finest of the fine walking around showcasing and ready for you to do that. And remember, they're blood dolls. These are people that want to be fed on. They know what you are. They're there flirting, shaking their tail feather, hoping you decide to have a nip. And, and you're supposed to do that. And as DJ said, you got Gatsby walking around like he owns the place because he's the great grandchild. Dude's never known or, or, or he never had to worry about a thing in his life. And he's just getting the players out of their shell. Why don't you come on over to have a nip from Greg? He's tasty. You know, he works out. He's on that new new diet, too. You can really taste it. Oh, uh, there's Sharon. Oh, she is always shy, always worth a nip. Wild when she when no one's looking. I love it. Come over here. Like, that's where they list Gatsby as being this sort of magnanimous, he knows you better than you know yourself inside of like a minute of meeting you. He just has that personality to pull you out of your shell. And that's what that's what you want at a party. Somebody to really get everybody moving. The other aspect is the prince goes, don't forget, armament. And then right. it reminded me like John Wick movie, where they have the sommelier. Ah, oh, Mr. Wick. I know you normally go with the Germans and the Walter PPK, whatever the hell, and nine guns and three things and a grenade launcher. I need something heavy. Don't forget the Italian Spachis Fest 9 shotgun, wherever the hell it is <laughs> that is there, yep. you know, and they show everything. Dessert, you mean this blade? Like, it's ridiculous of that sommelier, but I really felt you could take that and translate it to what the prince is showing. All of it is what a normal mortal could get off the street, but it's brand new gun, shipment, everything. And then the prince adds, the police are out tonight. You be careful, Gatsby and friends. No sense in you getting caught up in something you shouldn't. Remember, silence of the blood, the masquerade. And everyone's like, oh no, we'll be okay. They somehow made a scenario where they mom you. And you the mom's watching, careful children. And then they and then and then the coterie's supposed to leave. You're dressed in the nines, you take off. Then you get inside the vehicle and you meet the the driver who I love how they do this in the camera. The driver's branded this half moon tattoo, which for anyone means that not that they're the black hand, but it does mean that they're thin blood and they're marked accordingly. It means the camera recognizes them. They're there for a reason. In this case, Miriam is the eternal driver for Gatsby. And in that car is, is where all the antics go. And there's a lot that they planned for the scenario. A um, little cloak and dagger, a little are the players paying attention, or are they just enjoying it too much? And for fun, because we're talking about this and you can spice it up, um, right. we'll, let you know, we'll let you know in advance. It's because Beerham and Gatsby, what this book is all about, they plan to escape. Come midnight, when the ball drops, they plan to, to abscond to the Anarch side over at the, over at the Red Blocks and get away from the Prince. It's the only way they can be together, because as a thin blood, you're, you're lower than dirt. And there's no way Gatsby's grandsire is going to allow him to be in love with Miriam and do whatever it is he wants to do. And they know that. Prince is too much in status and all that other stuff to to even deal about it. But how do the players feel? And that's what this scenario is all about. It's showcasing, here's the Camarilla. Here's how bad it can get. Cleopatra's represent a very terrible, but I'd have to say all do common thing in a city for the Camarilla, a faction within a faction. Then you have the Anarchs that are always the Anarchs. To me, the Anarchs showcase uh, grass is greener. Over here, you guys do whatever the fuck you want. Doesn't matter. Like you don't, uh, you want to be together? Great. I don't know you. Can you guys uh, pay rent, work a job at night? Can you figure it out? Cool. You won't cause a headache. Yeah, sure. You could be an Anarch. We're over here though. 
But whenever we got to go to war with these Camarilla people who are breathing down our necks, you got to kill them. Right. You got to be ready. And I never really read in a book. What's the Camarilla doing to you? Like, hang on. Let's hold on a second. Let's have a little fun with this. Right. Whenever you see these city books built, there's like a sheriff and a deputy, maybe maybe one to three deputies. That's only four people. The Anarchs are always like 20 or 30. Combing the streets, there's more than that. There's armies of them. They come in gangs. They're everywhere. And you sit there and go, now how are they holding off against the Anarchs? All right, I look at the sheriff's stats. He's a little beefy. He's got stuff. There's things. He's history, tactics, whatever. All right, the Anarchs, though, are always written to be these throw-down serious people. Mm-hmm. And so you begin to wonder, why negotiate when you could just take? And why aren't, they, why aren't they doing what you know they should do, which is rove over the competition? That's a hard thing to do for anybody to grasp. I throw it to you to say, this book will be no different. In a book where you don't have a sheriff or the deputies to even worry about or be concerned, you might want to add that a little bit. If players need that, maybe don't get into it. Because as a Marischal Coterie, you're kind of like the deputies. Because you're the bodyguards of Gatsby. You're there as a chaperone, so to speak, to watch where he goes and when he does. But the Anarchs themselves are not particularly violent to do anything because they're coming to a negotiation. That's where this starts. So keep that in mind. And I sort of went into that whole sheriff, deputy, resistance versus the Anarchs because you got to keep that in mind this whole scenario. It is not about the combat that can erupt, though it is prepped in case combat does occur. And, and there's a time and a place, as it said. But the important thing, um, other than the brand with Miriam, did you have any other insights with it, DJ? I I didn't, and the only reason I... I, I mean, offhand, I, I don't think I, I did, if only because when I read it, I took... Okay, there's that love story that they have. Uh, okay, the insight I do have is as follows, and I, this has to layer on more with what you were mentioning regarding the Anarchs and the grass is greener on the other side. Notice that, like, for the most part, there is no... like. Okay, you have the Anarchs, but the reason why they can't do anything is because they can't do anything. It's that promise of freedom, but what does freedom even mean in the first place? Whereas there's the fear of control that somehow they keep trying to paint the Camarilla with, and this is the fear that like, Gatsby's bringing over with himself, right? He knows, or to say he knows, I'm not exactly sure if that's his preconception of it, or it just happens to be that he's seen the prince actually do something, but that's the strength of the Camarilla in general. And knowing that he cannot be with, with Miriam is a thing. He probably never even decided to negotiate with the prince for one reason or another. But it's almost like it, it's like watching that painting in the picture of a tiger that's about to jump, but you're not sure whether he's jumping on you or if he's going to jump on something else. And it's just the implication. I, I think that's more what I felt in in this particular scene when they start introducing Miriam and what he what they mean to each other and how the story's going to go that way. Yeah, um, I think I think the fear keeps those two in line, and it should. I think when you're th- when you're that close to an elder, and the prince is definitely least least ran as that, if not, and it's okay. Yeah, that's kind of scary. You have history. You were raised lap of luxury. Look at what they control and what they have. So this this is someone that you should be concerned with. I get why Gatsby would want to get out, and I get why Miriam would be be afraid. She was branded. She got caught by the cam and branded for what what she is. That you know. And if, for those who don't know, that brand literally means that the Camarilla for now lets you live. That doesn't mean it won't kill you later. It just means as long as you serve, you're good to go. At some point, they may not longer be used for you, and that's, that's it for you. Well, what, what does that do for you as a Thin Blood? Well, not a whole lot. But the Thin Blood's the, you know, there's Anarchs and there's Thin Blood. That's how I see it. There's always a worse whipping boy that they have to create. <laughs> it's kind of how the halls of power work, no matter what faction you're in. 
and the thin blood are great for that. The duskborn, if you will. But there is something I want to tell you. The light under Miriam's character. There's a flaw that they have in V5, and I overlooked it because I was like, okay, cool, you heal like a mortal, that must suck. Until you really begin to look at it. Healing like a mortal, it's automatic. First off, no blood needed. So are they called it a flaw? Is it, though? Like, if every night you could just... So, so imagine this. Miriam has five health levels. I'm just doing this mechanic. Miriam is not super right. tough. She has five health levels. But she gets jacked up in a fight that night. Like anybody else, you know, she's beat, she's bruised, she looks it, it sucks. She's going to lay there for a minute. The next night she wakes, she heals like three levels of that superficial. It doesn't all go away. And a vampire certainly can spend the blood to heal it all that night, that scene when it's done. And all the superficial is gone, sure. But it didn't cost her any blood to do that healing. She was just at home, waited that time, and it all goes away. Imagine it. Two nights, she's right as rain. No more hungry than she was before. Also, get this. What if it's Ag and she goes to Torpor? Wait a second. There's a... Something gets a hold of her. Cuts her up really bad. Like a werewolf. She's a bodyguard. She should be dead. She's doing the sleep or sleep, but she is an ash or whatever. And someone grabs her and takes her home. What are we going to do? We should get this blood. It's a weird mess. We can't wake her up. What's going on? Nah, just wait till tomorrow. What's that? That's correct, folks. By rules, you can just wait till tomorrow and she's going to heal one egg, naturally. Cost her nothing. No rouse check. Actually, it's even better. I'm sorry. This is not even, not even just that. It's the fact that a mortal can use medicine to knit their wounds and, and change yeah. some of that superficial into, in, or change some of that egg into superficial and just get it taken care of right there. So hospital stuff works in her. You know, the Ivy, so she could check in and chill. By the way, not only does it work if she goes to the hospital and she's in right hand, she's going to heal easy. Think of the think of the other factor. Um, sunlight doesn't kill her. It doesn't it doesn't hurt her. She, her disciplines can't do anything, and all that stuff. And she's certainly and probably annoyed that she might be tired pulling an all nighter. But other than that, it's just sun. She, she's all good, baby. And it's like, okay, how is that a flaw? And I and I'm not mad at it. I just said I get it. You're not as strong as a vampire. If you go up against a vampire, you're pretty light in the pants when it comes to that. But I said as a player who likes options. That maybe thin blood might be a thing you want to do and play around with because there's some unique opportunities you can create for yourself and get involved in and a lot you can pull off. And, and I'm not even power gaming it. Think of the thin blood who goes all in on fortitude, goes all in on their stamina. Now we're talking about someone who planned to get in the, get in the dirt and do whatever. And that's what Miriam opened my eyes to. But she's a very solid built character in the fact that they gave her the flaws to make her as close to human as possible where you can get how someone like Gatsby can fall in love with her. Right. The other thing about it is, especially since you mentioned she was branded by the camera, if we remember correctly, at one point they were like, the Thin Bloods bring the Gehenna, and they were like, well, time to call as many of them as possible. Until you start to recognize exactly what you mentioned, and someone in a net church type of way decided, you know what, we can't let anyone really find out about this. So we keep them ignorant and just keep them as slaves in this particular fashion. They don't got to know about it. I don't even think the Anarchs know that they're creating this gold mine in front of them. But if we scare them into thinking they don't need to be what they are, then it goes over their heads. And I think that's like the genius mastermind of like, oh, but I'm a thin blood. What good am I if you only knew my dear? But drive that car. Drive that car and we'll let you live. You'll let me live? If only they knew she could just heal naturally, as you mentioned before. So I think it's kind of cheeky uh, to do such a thing. It's interesting. I, I, I do like how that's written. And some people may uh, may not let that happen. I could see that, too. I thought about swinging the other way. Like, no way. Does it say it? I'll make it still cost some blah, blah, blah. I'm sure have fun with that. I'm not going to do that, though. I think it's interesting and builds a good, solid character 
well-rounded with its bonuses and negatives to, to keep that going. Um, but when you look at Gatsby, Gatsby's built like a monster. He's a social predator and a real deal predator. How I classify it, when he's in the, in the SUV driving around, they give you some scenarios of what to do. One of my favorite ones is the I'm the alpha male boyfriend scenario. He's he's not letting on to the players. He doesn't want them to know that he is he's a thing with Miriam. So he's deliberately being this sort of a chauvinistic showboater. He he chooses two two honeys from the party blood dolls that he brings in that are new. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to feed on these girls. It's going to be great. Takes a nip. Let's get this party started. It's New Year's. Let's get going. Hey, DJ, where are you from? That's cool. I knew someone from that. Hey, how about you? You, you? you guys go to the museum. Do you know? Won't shut up. Mile a minute. Having a good time. Keeps the conversation going for everybody. While they're doing that, deliberately, Miriam's going to try to pull into a cop stop. Everyone's getting their IDs checked, you know, sobriety tests, whatever, if needed. And it's common on New Year's in any city really you go to because they want to catch mm-hmm. the drunks. And so as you go through it, why they do that is to see if the players catch the two Anarchs tailing the SUV that are trying to plant a bug on it. And it's a very specific bug, too. This is why I like Vampire a lot, because it's not a normal technology bug. It's a, <laughs> it's a ritual stone. It's literally one of those, I think it's Bloodstone. Uh, Craft the Bloodstone is what it is. And uh, they try to put one of those on there so they can thaumaturgically track it from a distance, and it's and it's a sorcery track it from a distance, and it's all gravy. And I found that cheeky and funny, right? It, it was cool that it is, but it's not necessarily easy to spot them. And then I thought about it. Or, who the hell is paying attention to what's outside of the SUV? I'm just saying, if you have... No if Right, if you're, if you're with this guy who's so sociable, I mean, he's incredibly sociable, and you're having a good time with your pals, laughing, having fun, you're all sharing drinks, whatever. Like, replace Vampire and you're all mortal. Having a great time, everybody's getting their drink on, doing their share thing. And they, the driver is the one who needs to pay attention. Right? So no, that's the whole point of being in that vehicle. So nobody outside's paying attention to it. But I like how they write in there, of course someone's paying attention. That's every player. Not every player is going to be eating out of this guy's hand. They're going to be suspicious, whatever, and do it. Okay, that's there. So they give you three things. That's not the bad part with Gatsby. That's Gatsby being an a-hole, in my opinion, but a very good one. Mm-hmm. However. The drunken crowd. And this is my favorite one. Anyone who's been in traffic, been in the city in New Year's, has ran into this group. It's where like a group of like five or more people spill out of a bar because they're bar hopping. And uh, you happen to be at an intersection or going across. As they go across, one of the drunk guys there, because he's bold, inhibitions are gone, spots one of the one of the women you're with or maybe a guy you're with, uh, depending on the situation and what their tastes are. And they're like, hey. Roll down your window. I want to give you a New Year's Eve, something or other, blah, blah, blah. And uh, says it to Miriam. And Gatsby's like, son of a. And for a brief second, because he has, folks, what is known as a beast. And I love it because he can't exactly hide that 100%. And they write it to where it's like it's a shift of the eye, that predatory glint. But he manages to keep it under control. And that is where I advise you to throw an ad lib in the scenario. That's what players roll for. All eyes are on him. They should see the predatory glint and see if something's about to happen and make it roll for right then. So they're like, wait a second, why would that make him mad? Mm-hmm. And then give the opportunity for Gatsby to try to explain why that makes him mad. But he doesn't stop there. He gets the look and he rolls in the window and you see him go, hey, buddy, how's it going? He says, hey, come over. I want to tell you a secret. It's really cool. <laughs> and since he has all that charisma and charm, the drunk guy's like, yeah, man, what's up? He goes, oh, yeah, come in. When the guy leans in close, Gatsby grabs this guy's head and slams it into the side of the car. Because you know you were, you were you were crowing at that the guys the guys late my honey yeah that's what happens I was like what macho bullshit is that Miriam's a vampire 
If she was pissed, hit that dude with the car door, roll down the window, and blast him in the face. You're a thin blood. You ain't weak. That's immortal. You could set up. Why didn't she do it? I'll tell you why. Because women are smarter than men. DJ, I see you nodding your head going, what are you talking about? Uh-huh. That's You're true, like naturally I mean. dead. Come on. Because because like any any girl at that moment is just like, what a drunken asshole. I'm not going to make this right. a thing. Especially if she has to keep her cool because she's trying to defect and not let the bodyguards know that you're that you're trying to take this dude and get the hell out of here right so you can't cause a scene what's gatsby do i'm gonna act a fool and then later on you can imagine that lover's quarrel what was that in the car gatsby and he's like baby i can't let anybody do what they oh i just i just love you so much and then, and then, and then in other words she's property miriam's this kind of chick written where she's gonna realize maybe not this month maybe not this year but some decade and she's immortal and believe me that book better get into that. That time ruins all relationships on a long enough timeline. If you're with someone forever, I'll talk about that in the next book, but just think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Forever? Forever, ever? Right? Uh, that's that's what it is. Miriam's going to realize, though, that she's property to Gatsby. Gatsby's a status guy. He's always known lots of money. He's always known that. You know what he hasn't had? Grass is always greener. He hasn't had a stepping out with uh, the lady from the other side of the tracks. And you don't get more other side of the tracks and bottom basement than thin blood in the Camarilla. That's really the scenario they're not telling you. And so as a Torador, his feels are up. It's the weakness of the Torador. You know, she's just good looking or it doesn't matter. It's what she makes me feel or it doesn't matter. It's the fact that I can do what I want because I can do it. And, and I know my grandsire will forgive me and I can go back home. Because you know that's what he's going for. I'm a, I was an anarch this month, but next month I'm the Camarilla again. That's how Gatsby is. And that's I where he's her by accident. I got to go back. Exactly. That's exactly what he reads like, even though his convictions are something or other. But I digress. And why I digress? Because this all started because I said, what's unique about the Nosferatu? Well, the Cleopatrans go a step further. DJ, I'm going to give you a chance to describe that party they go up to. Because they don't, so they, I... don't, they don't just go to a party. They go to, I would argue, the best party ever thrown in a Nosferatu clan. It's like a warrant. It's it's a combination of like you probably imagine. Actually, it's kind. Of, oh man, I wish I remember that party scene in the Matrix. But it's kind of like that. The head over to where there's Christmas lights that are kind of roaming around that lead down into this nice underground warren party. And at the warren party itself, there's a coat check. At the coat check, you're also given the opportunity to wear a mask because it is a masquerade party of sorts. Like you have to don it. But they give you options as well, uh, asking you what your feeding preference is because they'll give you a mask that's close to it. Now, where there are many masks, will never hold on, be that hold one on. thing. Don't ruin that nuance. Oh. Because that sounds normal. You got to get that delivery the way they did it because I want to honor the authors for it. It's a beautiful thing they do. You got the Warrens down pat, right? We know it's an overpass mm-hmm. they stop at. They go down some creepy side thing, but it's not creepy because even though it's like the streets is normal, they got all the Christmas lights. But the mask, they, they, there's an attendant there, a Nosferatu, who somehow is able to look at you for a second and knows your feeding type. Yeah, they don't oh, ask you, true. they just look at mm-hmm. you and know, and then they give you the appropriate mask for that feeding type. And that mask is unique. No one else at the party has the type of mask you do. So no matter what vampire shows up, they all get a unique mask tailored to them. And why I said that is because this is the uh, the, the purage, the, uh, what is it, the, the largesse of the Cleopatran Romans that we have mm-hmm. here. That we, we have the right people who know the right thing to do the right thing, but no other clan has bothered to make, uh, in other words, DJ, I love it when something's written where a vampire actually fluffs and flaunts the beast 
that vampires have in such a pampered way as to show you what true decadence is. And I found it to be very decadent. Uh, please continue. Oh, um, so yeah, the, the one thing that they do mention about the mask as they are being presented um, once again to each predator type, it does 100% mention, as, as Bob was mentioning to it, to flaunt that monster inside, that they're all ghastly. In one fashion or another, it's not like a beautiful thing where like the Cleopatrans are just trying to emulate that beautiful thing. They're giving you that that mockery um, by mentioning that all these masks have a ghastly thing of some sort. Um, one example, I think, is the siren, right? So the siren mask, I think that's the one that draw my attention. It's described as a black letter fetish mask with various metallic strips, studs and zippers, and with a wig made from electrical wire reflecting their their, their, uh, their sexual predilections. That is a... Uh, that's great, right? <laughs> I mean, I, the reason I think about it is like, okay, cool, you have your nice little evening gown and you got the gift mask on. I'm ready to speak to from... Well, when we think about it as mortals, it's kind of hard to say that we're going to get this get mask on in this hot, hot ass environment. And we're going to do whatever we're going to do because they land in description. They land the feel of this club. Like it's down in the Warrens and you're thinking to yourself, it's going to be smelly. It's going to be bad. There's a sewer access oh, no. point, whatever. It's not. It may be cemented walls in places, but it is pulse pounding music that is just flooding through this club. They have multiple rooms. That they don't get into how many, and there's not a map of it on purpose, because you don't need it. With good enough narrative, people have an idea of what this place looks like in their head. And the way this describes is that it's skin-to-skin dancers in every type of room. You could feel a body of heat coming off of everybody because of this. Only the vampires are wearing masks, though. That's what's unique. And looking around the room, you can see people thrash dancing and kind of getting into the mix of the music. And then, in a corner, you can see somebody unzip the mask around their mouth and take a bite out of a blood doll and they're feeding over in sections right it's it's everywhere and all around here so we're feeding in the open we're flaunting what we are but people can't see who the vampire is that's feeding so they have anonymity this club environment that's why the cleopatras are so shocking because when you see dido and i think they did it on purpose dj and that's really what i was looking to see if you agree or disagree i think they had dido show up the way she looked, if you can kind of get into that a little bit. The way that she currently looks, I, so I'll read it exactly as it is, because I think there's no way of kind of taking it away from her. Dido, your Cleopatra host for the evening, glides towards you, dressed in glistening gold fabrics that ripple like liquid and elaborate headdresses of dark, tarnished metal, like a gilded statue of a goddess. Gossamer metal chains spill from her arms like waterfalls, connecting to a corset piercing along her back and thighs. Um, beaded rings cover her fingers and bangles that cover her wrist. Her Nosferatu skin is translucent, making her black lifeless veins appear like cracks in a porcelain doll. And then you can imagine that when she feeds, her veins are bluish with stark bloody hives. Her eyes are pink when they take you in and easy smile comes across her face. I think the, 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 the interesting part about it is definitely how they really describe what it is for her um, affliction as a Nosferatu. But even more so than that, that it's not just one thing in terms of being static. Ugly is ugly. I mean, uh, I mean, subjective, but in terms of how they describe the monster, but they really don't give too much detail into what would happen if, in this case, Dido were to, uh, to feed out of her those black veins in her blood and how they start pulsing outward and how it's a feature to her. I think that the uh, starkness of it, just that description says it all, is so different from everybody else. It's like the, the host of the party, the people who threw it, knew it was a masquerade ball, but they're going to have the best outfit ever. And that's what this is. And so there's no way you could have came here to outdress the Cleopatras because nobody expects the Nosferatu to be like that. It's not just her. 
There's another guy later on that you'll see in the book that the players will, will see randomly, uh, have a chance to see him, and he's another Cleopatra. His name's Pigeon, and they have a fantastic picture of him too, and he's just as gaudily dressed. It's a it's a great thing. And it, and, you know, I wish the entire clan was Cleopatra by looking at this book because I could dig it. I like my Nas looking like they're, they're dipped a little bit. It's it, it really highlights what they are and what they're about in that capacity, at least that cult. Now, due to time, we're going to truncate the rest and leave that too to everybody else. But uh, what we're getting into is that it's enough for the build up to see the differences. And then this, these scenarios matter for any game. And it's written for you to fit it into your current game You could with the prints you have because you can insert all the polish you want to in that and get detailed with it include your coterie seamlessly even if they listen to this they're not going to notice what you're doing if you just massage a little bit to get it there right they have a tree you run the flip side of it to where everybody can be anarchs and you have an anarch trying to do what what gatsby's doing and all that other stuff he's trying to go the other direction that's doable and it's still it doesn't really hurt anything um i did mention that there's violence in here there is there's a point where you can definitely it can go that way and it's written in there right around the time the players have to do the investigation. To me, the boring part of the book, because if you're not doing this scenario, it's boring to hear about. Because you can see where this builds up. There's the party, Dido's there, the grandchild, Gatsby has to give a speech. And it's a it's a decent speech, but it's a speech to some a-hole. I accept on behalf of the Academy this for my buddy who didn't care to show up to your stupid event. And here's what we're going to do. And isn't it great on me? Awesome me. Go time. And then he leaps off the top to land down the dance floor and dances with everybody and makes a fool of himself. Uh, not a fool of himself, but draws all the attention of the room to him. And then the streamers drop and everybody's in bliss of New Year's. And then he disappears. And the way they write it is, I wonder where Gatsby could have went. What happened? And I'm like, well, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Am I like, duh, we know where he went because I know the scenario? Yes. Yes. When you get to this portion, like hopefully your players don't read this scenario because if they did, everybody knows where Gatsby went. Now you got to pretend that you don't know. And that kind of ruins that dramatic point. But if they didn't read the scenario and they don't know what's going on, or cleverly, you change the names, figures, and when this takes place and it's not New Year's and somebody's Elysium event or whatever, you could do it that way and kind of surprise them with it. But really, it was sort of a warm, meh, meh, we'll figure it out. But they do give you an opportunity to socialize and have these players, have the players kind of freak out a bit but that's because the prince is an irrational paper tiger that's what i'm going to tell you the the, the coterie the marischal coterie knows that, that they're, they could, they're going to probably get killed if they don't bring the grandchild back that's one of the that's one of the things hanging over their head the prince has never said it they're assuming it but that's one of the outcomes for it um and they, they got to do it so they got to find this guy and they give you every level of the rainbow of what can happen players go with it let them go. They're lovers. We'll see what happens. We'll go back empty-handed. Dun, dun, dun. See how that happens. They, they have it to where uh, you play the aftermath of that and what it could happen and how it could be. You can imagine. Do they get killed? Do they not get killed? Does the prince torment them? Is Gatsby being tortured? Does Miriam get killed? Is she just tortured? You can imagine all that. I'm roughing through it because I'm going to hold uh, to what's going on and give you the last few minutes we got here, DJ. Do you have any closing remarks about this book? I've made mine. Um... I think that I'm sorry, like I'm so overwhelmed with like how how well it was written. Um, I think what makes it cool is definitely the fact that there is that nuance of the Cleopatras in there, and there's so much weight behind what it is that they've done that you easily overlook it for one dimensionally thinking it's a prince, go retrieve her, uh, her child and bring it back. Um, 
I like it. As an intro story, it's great. As one bringing it in for an experienced storyteller or one that at least knows the lore, there's so much you could do. That scene alone, um, dealing with being in the Warrens and spending time with the Cleopatras, could probably take up ninety percent of your of your story. Like if you write, if you want to spend as much time there as possible, you get to invest, you get to explore, you get to make the deals, you get to see what their life is really about, and then you never know because then that might actually affect how you may or may not treat Gatsby. You know, are the Cleopatras really involved in it? Would they care enough to care about Gatsby or just tell you to turn away and go like, don't worry, we have the prince. You don't have to worry about a damn thing about what's going on over there. I think that's where it turns really cool. What I do think, though, as well, is that uh, how they, as Bob was mentioning regarding Paper Tiger, one of the scenarios, one of the outcomes is the prince does get upset is exactly what you probably think it would be. And, and it's not even a spoiler. It's like, well, it's time for you not to exist anymore. It's time for you to be bloodhunted because they have every right to, as the prince, Lex Talionis, I get to do whatever it is that I want. Um, and it's not good news. So it's like that bearing weight of like, do I do it? Do I, do I have sympathy? Do I play as the player? or Do I play as the coterie I'm supposed to be? Um, and so I like that they left that open for the player with adequate consequences to show you what would happen if you choose to turn around and they don't sugarcoat it. So that's my closing one there. All right. With that, folks, um, get the scenario. As DJ said, it was a, it was a free download back uh, back in October, I believe. It's something you can still check out and enjoy. Right. <laughs> and, and thank you everybody thank you. for that um we're starting at this double in a little bit uh but uh we're gonna we're gonna work that out hopefully edit that out but uh if not oops you have a couple seconds of garbage but uh that can happen uh but thanks everybody we'll talk to you next time uh we'll see you on uh werewolf i believe karen places of power is next don't hold me to that i have a habit of changing things but look forward to it thank you thank you for listening to our 25 years of vampire the masquerade podcast if you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM, at our email, info at 25 yearsvtmcom on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 yearsvtm or on our website, www.25yearsvtm.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade.